Well, good morning. Let me double check that. There we are. Good morning once again. How many of you parents, we're going to be honest here as we start this morning, how many of your parents, you have lost a child at some point? All right, so there's a few of you willing to raise your hands. This is uh, important to us to recognize the people who did not raise their hands either have toddlers or younger, or they are lying. Because your child is going to wander off, is going to make their way. And there are two ways uh, that we can hear that news, and you can look around the room and say, all of you are people who have lost their children. You either know, well, those are just horrible parents, we can have that idea, I can't believe that happened, or you just don't understand yet. And you'll get there, and uh, we'll find that ways on our way there this morning. There are two different ways that children tend to, to wander off. Maybe you've got one of those kids who just wanders off all the time. Like they just, they just kind of meander away from you. It doesn't matter where you are, what's around, what's, it's not even interesting to them. But for some reason, they just have their eyes in the sky and they're just wandering off, walking off. And you might find your child in the middle of uh, a bunch of clothes next to a mannequin. You have no idea where that child is going to turn up because they're just ones who wander off. And then there's other children who are not wanderers, they are runners. They are runners who are immediately, when, when you watch the Olympics and the Summer Olympic Games and you say Usain Bolt come out of the blocks, you say, that guy's got nothing on my kid because my kid takes off as soon as he has a chance. As soon as you get your hand off of his hand, he or she is gone and they are running and I think all of you have seen that you've been in a store you've been here at church and you just see the kid come buzzing by and you know in a few minutes or maybe 30 minutes the parent is going to come walking through wandering around looking for them trying to figure out where that kid was because he is on the run now it's interesting because there are some kids who like to flee the reality is is there are many adults who want to do the same thing. And that's the storyline that happens in the Bible. And that's the storyline of the Bible that sometimes we kind of overlook, that there are, there are people who are wandering away from God. And we can do that as well. We're not, we're, we're not doing it on purpose necessarily. We're just not paying attention and we're not really committed to God. We're just kind of floating, just kind of wandering. And we, we've lost track, lost sight of who God is, what he wants for our lives, and what it is that we are supposed to be doing in this moment. And then there are some of you, some of us, and some people in Scripture that we see that are definitely fleeing. They are on the run, running as far and as fast as they can away from the will of God. My name is Pastor Milo. If I haven't met you yet, I know we've got a few guests here this morning. I want to say hello. Welcome to Randall Church. We're glad that you are here. If you're watching online or listening later back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here because there's, if you're listening back later, if you're here in this room and you're listening now, uh, we want you to hear something and this is the good news. It's when we are on the run, when the human race is on the run, when we are fleeing and running as far and as fast as we can possibly run away from God, He is pursuing after you. That is the good news to share this morning. Other religions of the world will actually teach you and will teach us that, that God doesn't pursue us, that we actually need to chase after Him or find our way back to Him. And we do this through some type of quest or some type of pilgrimage or some type of arrival that we can get back into His good graces. But that's not the storyline of the Bible. 
Like there are some kids who are foolish and they like to run and they find themselves in danger or in harm's way. We see that throughout Scripture and throughout the Bible as well. And we see God continually pursuing after His people. We serve a God who is looking after us, looking for us, searching for us. He is wanting and longing and trying and desiring to continue to be in relationship with humankind who he created for that purpose. And that's the parental father, our heavenly father, the heart of God in pursuit after us. This paradigm begins right in the gospel, excuse me, right in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, the first two parents in all of scripture. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They literally run away from God. They are hiding from God, which is impossible. And what happens? God comes and he comes looking for them, searching for them, seeking after them, pursuing after them. And what begins in Genesis becomes the story of the gospel that's laid out for all of us throughout all of scripture this story that God is continually pursuing it's the mega theme of the book of Jonah that we have been in for the last few weeks we find ourselves there and this is this case study where this guy runs away from God and how God is chasing after him and 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 he is not just wandered off he is running he is at a dead sprint as far as he can possibly Get. So in chapter 1 of Jonah, God speaks to Jonah. In chapter 2 of Jonah, Jonah speaks to God. That's where we were last week. In chapter 3, God speaks through Jonah to the people of Nineveh called the Ninevites. That's where we are this morning. And if you haven't listened to the first three sermons in this message series, I encourage you to do so because it's going to help you frame our conversation for today. So you can go back, you can listen to that, uh, parts one, two, and three. I'd recommend doing that to help you get the big picture of what's going on here in Jonah. If you haven't already gotten there, if you get your Bibles out, uh, we are in Jonah. It's a small book. You'll fly right by, by it if you're not careful. So you might need to look at the table of contents. That's okay. No shame here. Get there. Jonah chapter 3 this morning. We're going to cover all the verses in chapter 3. This is the story of Jonah and he is going uh, to the Ninevites. The Ninevites of this ancient enemies, the Assyrians, are living there in Nineveh. They're living in that city. And he is going to go and he will shout a very strange five-word message everywhere he goes in the city of Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh, Jonah's greatest enemies, they have a very surprising response to the message. Today's message is a story that explores the meaning of a biblical word that we use oftentimes. We don't really think about it. It is the word repentance. The word repentance. I'm going to look at what this word means and what it does not mean and a whole bunch of other things in there as well. If you were here last week, Pastor Dan took us and we went down, 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 down into the bottom of the ship first, but then uh, into the bottom of the fish and the bottom of the ocean down 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 he encounters this sea monster which is actually a case of God's incredible mercy this great fish the way that God brings Jonah to the end of himself and then wakes him up to the beauty and the glory of who God actually is and this is where we are picking it up we pick this up, the story is, is, is where we're at right now, is this great fish comes and it vomits Jonah up onto the seashore. That's where we are. He vomits him up. Here we are, and here we go. For Christmas this year, 
my daughter Maya, my son Elias, got a very unique gift that I didn't know existed, but the older girls went out and purchased this gift. They found a website. There's a, a way to fund research for marine biology by paying for these little trackers, these GPS trackers that they put on wild animals out in the ocean. And so you can pay for that and you have your own animal that's now named after you. And so we have this GPS tracker. She has one on a stingray and Elias has one on a shark. And we can watch that dot move all over the ocean. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. You'd be amazed at how many miles these things move out in the middle of the ocean. It's pretty cool. Can you imagine if you are Jonah, you've heard God and he has said to you, hey, I need you to send you to Iraq. I need you to be a missionary to the great-great-grandfathers of Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And you're going to go and you're going to share God's word with them. And the Taliban is going to be there and they're going to try to stop you, but it's okay. I am with you. And Jonah does what probably many of you and I would do as well. As we, he runs in the dead opposite direction. He boards a ship and as he is trying to run away from God as fast as he can, he is shipwrecked and he is swallowed by this great fish. He got on the ship in Joppa, which is approximately 500 miles away from the city of Nineveh. He boards a ship and he heads 2,500 miles away. So if our family has been tracking this little GPS, this little clicker, it's pretty impressive how many hundreds of miles I said that the thing moves. We're not sure what kind of sea creature this is in the Bible. We, we call him a fish. Some of your translations will call him a whale. But if you imagine with me the tracking system that would be on this fish, and it's just kind of floating around out in the water, the line's going all over the place, and then all of a sudden it just stops and makes a direct line. This is God's wonderful way that he provides uber travel for Jonah to get where he wants him to be. Isn't God incredible? Here's our first point and it's on the screen for you this morning. This morning's message is called the distance between. And there's a distance between jo where Jonah was and where he should be. Even after this great fish takes him and spits him up onto the shore is Jonah where he should be. There's a big distance between the two. The fish vomits Jonah up on the shore. That's what we're going to read here. And there's plenty of debate as to the exact location of where that space would be, where he is deposited on the beach. But still, no matter what, Nineveh is an inland city. So there is no beachfront property there in Nineveh. No matter what, he was going to have to travel somewhere between 200 to 500 miles. I think you agree. There's nothing worse than throwing up. It's awful. Dry, heaving, terrible. But I don't really know what it would be like to be the one that has been vomited up, and now you have to walk through the desert 200 to 500 miles. That's a pretty awful thing to experience. That seems worse. Let's read verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Here's the principle that we take away that we can bring with us this morning. Every second chance is a new gift from God. 
Every second chance is a new gift from God. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Isn't this an encouraging statement this morning? God didn't have to use Jonah. God could have dismissed him. He could have written him off. There are plenty of other prophets. We've got plenty of other minor prophets that could have done this job. He could have used them. He didn't have to use a prophet if he didn't want to. He could have used the fish itself. God is God. He can do whatever he wants. He could have communicated in an entirely different manner to the people of Nineveh if he wanted, through signs and wonders and miracles. But God did not give up on Jonah. He pursues him. Not only was he trying to and desiring to do something through Jonah, he was trying to do something in Jonah as well. The same applies to you and to me. If God has called you to do something and you found yourself hesitating, you found yourself even running like Jonah has done here, he not only wants to do something through you, God is trying to do a work in you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is the calling of the disciples, Matthew chapter 4. Verse 20 says, come follow me and I will make you, I will mold you, I will form you into being fishers of men. He wants to grow your faith. He wants to help you to have a greater understanding in his goodness and his great love for you. Maybe he's trying to help you understand, even here, reading through Jonah, in this deeper way of just how much you need him. Whatever it is, God is not giving up on you. Every second chance is a new gift from God. We should not be surprised that there is a second chance given to Jonah here. It's part of his nature. God wants to love and wants to forgive. He seeks to redeem and to reconcile. And it should not have surprised Jonah either. Jonah already knew about all the second chances that God had given the people of Israel. Time after time we see God's people rebel, that they are worshiping idols, they are worshiping these man-made things instead of worshiping God himself. Shortly later they begin to drift away again. Disaster overtakes the people of Israel. They cry out, God steps in. And it just repeats itself again and again and again. Every second chance is a new gift from God. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character doesn't change. He is still a God of second chances. And maybe you feel like you've burned up all of your options, burned up all of your bridges, destroyed any uh, connections that you have with God, any chances you have to connect with God in a real way. On this side of the grave, because of the power of Jesus Christ, He is always ready to give you another chance. There was a distance between where Jonah was and where he should be. Secondly, there's a distance between what Jonah said and what he should say or should have said. Continuing on, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it after the 200 to 500 miles it took to get him there in the first place. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. This is in Hebrew, this would be five words. In English, we have eight words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. These five words in Hebrew, these five words sermon, I am incapable of giving a sermon like this. I am already hundreds of words into what I've said, and some of you think it would be a good time for you to shut it down now. That's okay. Five words is all that he says. I hope that that strikes you as strange. 
that either somehow he really was on point by the time that he got to the city of Nineveh. But it seems odd to what he is saying and how he said. He gives a time, 40 days. He gives an event. Nineveh will be overthrown. But if you remember back in chapter 1, what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to go to Nineveh, he says, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because it is wicked. Preach against the wickedness there. You already have an idea then of what he is supposed to say. You already have an idea because you already know what God has spoken through other prophets in other books of the Bible. He's probably going to say something about God and about how they are a wicked city and how they should stop and how it's wrong. But do we get any of that in this five-word sermon? Jonah's five-word sermon is one of the most intriguing parts of this whole book. What kind of things are missing? There's all kinds of things that are missing. So 40 days, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. By whom? 40 days. So is this like a Sodom and Gomorrah story, you know, where there's fire and brimstone that are coming down? We don't know. Is this will be overthrown by another nation where Babylon is waiting in the wings. They're going to come through under the city walls and take over. We don't know. We don't know anything. We do know when, 40 days, but we don't know why. Why will Nineveh be overthrown? And you can imagine these people in this city of Nineveh. There's all types of people there. It's a big city and it served an army, so there's going to be all types of different workers who are there. There are blacksmiths, and there are tool makers, and there are uh, sheep herdsmen, and there are all types of different people, goat herders, and, and they're hearing, we're going to be overthrown, and they say, well, what for? I don't know why, I just work here every day. Why would be the reasons that we would face this destruction and and what can we do about it is there anything that we can do we've got 40 days can they do anything to avert it this doesn't match at all the way that the prophets the other prophets in scripture talk to their listeners the prophets always include some chance some opportunity some reason to turn back turn to Yahweh or do something repent and so on but none of this we don't get any of this from Jonah there was a distance between what Jonah said and what he should say. There was a distance between what Jonah said and what he should say. And yet, God is going to use his message. His messenger was way off track, but the message was going to still have an impact. Because only God's message can overcome the world. Only God's message can overcome the world. This was not an eloquent message filled with persuasive words. We do see that in other parts of Scripture. But that's not what this was. Jonah didn't have a great attitude. He didn't have great motives. And he didn't have any patience, it would seem. But God's message is still powerful. The words of God are powerful. And with his words... God spoke the universe into existence with his words, which we have in our Bibles that we hold in our hands. It says that it can, it can cut through between the bone and the marrow. The words of God have all the power that they need. The key word here in what Jonah was sharing is the word overthrown. Nineveh would be overthrown. Overthrown 
overturned, or some of the translations sometimes gets kind of caught up there, or overturned, or maybe it means turned over, that it would be turned over to its own conclusion, that its, its own outcome, its own demise, its own trajectory would be taken upon itself. It would be turned over to that. This was a message that was ultimately about judgment and destruction. This was a message that because they were headed that way, destruction was waiting for them. And specifically, 40 days from now, destruction would come upon them. This was not a message, and certainly not in the way that Jonah shared it, how God loved the city of Nineveh. Yes, God is a God of love. Yes, he is compassionate. Yes, he is merciful. Yes, his grace is amazing. But God is also just. He is holy. He hates sin, and sin's consequences will ultimately put people to death. All those who die without putting their faith in Jesus Christ are going to face his judgment. The city would be turned over. But Jesus tells his disciples in the New Testament, he says, the message of the cross, excuse me, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The city was going to be overturned, but he says, I have overcome the world. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul put it this way, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. Paul knew the power of God's message. It is a simple message. He says the cross is foolishness. Unless you're willing to repent. He says those who are being saved know and they understand that that is where the power of God is. And in the New Testament, Paul works to keep his message simple. And he centers his message around the cross. And centers his message again and again around Jesus. We'll get there in a minute. Coming back to Jonah. Jonah is emboldened by this simple and powerful message. He shouts it to the crowds. Why? He understands the power and the might. He just experienced three days in the belly of the fish. He's now been vomited up onto the seashore. He's now somehow made it across the desert. He is there in the city. A day's journey that puts him in the center of the city. And he is shouting out, the end is near. He understands the power of God. Without question. But as he is sharing it, he is recognizing the power of God. He is recognizing through all of what God is going to do that he is trying to wield God's power as a tool in his own hands. As unlikely as it seems, because this book, as we've talked about, is built on this sequence of unlikely turns and ironic events in the way that Jonah is supposed to be God's mouthpiece, God's man, the one who's supposed to demonstrate a repentant heart, and yet he's not. As unlikely as it seems, the people of Nineveh are the ones who respond to God's message, even more so than Jonah does, which leads us to our next point. There was a distance between Jonah was where he should be. There was a distance between what Jonah said and what he should have said. There was a distance between who Jonah loved and who he should have loved. Because, you see, regardless of whatever Jonah may have done to try to sabotage the message, 
to keep them from knowing the real reason or the real truth or the real opportunity to repent. The message still goes through despite of him. Verse 5, the Ninevites respond. The Ninevites believe. Now the Assyrians were awful people. The city had a wall that was a seven-mile circumference. There's still ruins of the city. A seven-mile circumference, almost perfect circle around the city. It was enormous. And there was something about the size and scope of those walls that would be reminiscent of maybe what we know today about the Great Wall of China. Just this massive, massive structure. They would have chariot races on the wall itself. As they would come in. There was caves that would go underneath those walls. And as you come into the caves, there was this like art exhibit basically that was in all of the circumference of the city. And on all the different walls as you would come through, there was engravings and paintings and sculptures that all demonstrated the military might and the military power of the Assyrians. So that anyone who would come into the wall, anyone who come through would be intimidated by these very vile and awful and very brutal images of the Assyrians taking over the known world. Pictures of of men on the outskirts of the city that they would take over. What they would do, they go into the city and they would kill uh, many of the leaders in the city and then as they stood there they would put their heads on poles outside of the city to tell everybody, to remind them of the awful control and power that they had. They were a military superpower. One of their most ingenious tools that they used again and again and again that gave them so much power was this enormous wedge that they were able to build. Uh, part of it was on wheels, part of it would roll, and this is how they would use the, it. was called a siege ramp, that they would take over cities with this siege ramp. The Assyrian conquered an Israelite city named Lake. You can go there today and still see the remnants of this siege ramp where they would actually build this huge structure. And they do it in a matter of days where then little by little they just create a ramp up to the wall that was supposed to protect the city that they could just march all their soldiers up right up to the wall, walk onto the wall, walk into the city and take it over. And to their horror, the, the leaders, the kings, the rulers of these cities would watch little by little as the siege ramp was being built and as they just began coming more and more and more, coming right up that wall to take them over. The Ninevites believed. That's weird. Because Jonah didn't say anything about God, did he? And so you would think if you were reading this, you you would read it to say, the Ninevites believed what Jonah said. But no, that's not what it says. It says, the Ninevites believed in God. You see, in God's mercy, the people of this Gentile city have have had their hearts prepared and attuned by God himself. So what's going on here is he is pursuing after them as well. They're filling in all of the gaps because God has prepared them so. They are ready. And so the Ninevites believe in God. Verse 5, they believed in God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest of them to the least of them, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Here's the principle you need to hear this morning. Every generation gets to make its own choice. Every generation gets to make its own choice. The awful things that the Assyrian Empire had done, The Ninevites themselves, these vile people, at least that was how Jonah saw them, the enemies of God. Their leader, their king, humbles himself upon hearing the words of 
Jonah, humbles himself before him. Jonah is trying to wield God like a power. Like he is trying to, to do what he can to make sure that Nineveh does not survive. But the, the king of Nineveh, he bows down himself. Lies prostrate. We're not going to read all those verses this morning. But he, he makes sure that even the cows and the cattle and the sheep, that they also are all bowing down before God. He says, I don't want there to be any reason that we have not humiliated and humbled ourselves before God. The Assyrians are the last people on the planet that you would expect to replant. They are known for their brutality. They are known for their violence. And sometimes their torture was commonplace. They, they would turn it up a notch. They would do all that they can. There's all these different examples that we see uh, when we read through the history books of the ways that they intimidate and overpower and demonstrate their might. But this five-word sermon, and they're all trembling before a holy God. They are all mourning the fact that they are going to be destroyed. When God said Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days, they actually believe it. This was really going to happen. And the Ninevites are pleading here for God's mercy, hoping that he would change this attitude and behavior, that their, their repentance would cause God to relent. But they didn't have any assurance that he would. They didn't have any relationship with God. They didn't know about his long suffering. They didn't know about his patience. And right in front of them was someone who did. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've wondered if God is willing to forgive you anymore. Because you've continued to sin against him. You've continued to break the covenant. You've continued to, to, to show unloving things and unloving ways to even the most unlovely of people. But missing the point. Missing the point that you get to make a choice. Every generation gets to make its own choice. You know you've run and you're not sure that he wants to forget, forgive you. You know, we have this amazing promise in the New Testament about his forgiveness. In John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As the band comes forward, this, this verse is not only for those who do not know Christ, who do not have uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in their hearts and dwelling in their hearts, just like this Jonah is able to carry this message and the pagans, those who are farthest away from God, this message was for them. But this message is also for the believer. Where Jonah should have been in a state of repentance, or a state of, of knowing and understanding that because of God's great might and God's great power is the only reason why he is alive. The only reason why he has anything to say. You see, as we close this morning, as we close this chapter, we need to see that this is a bigger story than the one that meets the eye. Yes, there's a distance between where Jonah was and where he should be. And many of us would say that in our own lives, that there's a distance between where we want to be or where we should be. There's a distance between what Jonah is saying and what he should be saying. I think you would agree there are many of us who know what it is that we should be saying. We have all of the New Testament, we have all of the gospel written out for us. There's a this is what you need to share with your friends, your family, your neighbors. And we're not. There's a distance between who Jonah loved and who he should love. He loved himself, that's for sure. He loved his own people, there's no question. 
But God told him to love those who were far from him. That's what all this distance is about. The distance between God and man. And Jesus bridges the gap. What I mean by that is to say that we have this, and you've heard this before, this gap between, this, this distance between God and man begins in Genesis. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Death begins in the book of Genesis. We, we see that there's this break, that, that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. And so we spend all of our existence here on this planet struggling back and forth with that. So this morning, in, in looking at this, about this distance and understanding this distance that's there, it's tangible, it does exist. As we look at that, as we think through that, as we contemplate that, knowing and understanding that God is pursuing after you. And it is this morning, this room, this opportunity, every generation has its own opportunity to make so we're going to do it here in just a moment. As I'm going to encourage us, we will stand. I encourage you to sing together. We'll sing together about the greatness of God. Great are you, Lord, all that he has done for us. But if you want to come forward during that song while we are singing, I'll be here at the front. I'll call other elders up if we need them to come up. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Whatever it is that you're struggling with this morning, wherever that distance is, that you don't have a relationship with God, let's close that gap. If the distance is because you are not doing and saying and behaving the way that you know you are supposed to, let's close that gap as well. I'll be here. I'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Would you stand this morning as we sing together? Great are you, Lord.
consider the words of God and the way that he has uh, put this book together here in Jonah, all designed to remind us. See, we've been reading through this book thinking that this is about Jonah. But the reality is the more that we read, the more the words come off the page, we realize, oh no, <laughs> he's talking about me. And I pray this morning, as God is working in the hearts of our people, that you would be one as well, where you're saying, God, I want to close that gap from where I am to where I should be, from who I am to who you want me to be. So I pray that there will be opportunities this morning for you to do that in your own mind, that you would be willing to take that, write that down in the connection card in front of you, meet me in the back after the service is over. If God is doing work in your life, be willing to be obedient in the way that he has asked you to be. Jonah did the absolute minimum. Don't do the minimum this morning. Knowing that it's not in your own strength, not in your own power, that is why Christ had to die on the cross. You see, the Ninevite city, it was rescued. We read at the end of this chapter, Nineveh was not washed out. It was not wiped out, but later it was because they lost their way. They lost their focus. They still needed a Savior to come. So this morning, we thank you for being the Savior, for closing the gap. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, we have this gift. And so we praise you. We thank you. We worship you for that this morning. Allow it to leave this place today different than we arrived, knowing and believing that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.